Yeah, welcome to another episode of An African Conquering the World podcast. This is episode 22 of 54. We thank you for listening and thank you for tuning in every every week. We're here every Friday at 10 GMT. Um, please keep the fire burning and let's get as many people to join our talks as possible. Because our hope is to expand this into a form of um, a more interactive podcast, uh, almost an FM station uh, for architecture. But um, that's not what we're talking about today. Um, I lost a friend in the last week, a friend that is very dear to me, that battled with uh, some ailments for a while. His name is Ronald uh, Mutum. He was a writer and a journalist and an all-round brave person. May so rest in peace. He's, he was very close to myself and my, my, my family. And he was a dear, a dear, a dear, dearly loved person where we, grew, we all grew up. May so rest in peace. Today we talk about sustainability. Um, I've almost totally lost faith in sustainability. Because sustainability, as I see it, has become a tool of segregation and war. In a, in a positive way, it has, in, in, in a way, it has taken, it has taken sides with capitalism, and 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 the, the the, the world of rules around capitalism, to form a kind of barrier for good design. It has become a tool of war of one part of the world against the other. And those who understand how the how geopolitics work works walk would understand exactly what that means. You see, one part of the world has developed based on a regime of fossil fuels and a regime of burning substances into the atmosphere. And that part of the world has developed and developed to a high very high level and left the rest of the world behind when that part of the world was developing they had their boots on most of the other parts of the world that doesn't mean that um, they that these other parts of the world shouldn't have been developing or can't could have developed it only just means that the time where the the what we what's called the first world were going through their renaissance and their development was a time where uh, the other parts of the world for several reasons couldn't be developing at the same pace so they developed with cheap fuels cheap uh, fossil fuels and made industries large-scale industries to produce even the most basic necessities for everybody in the world but not a very good thing it looks it looks it looks as if it's a good thing because goods can be some kind of goods can be cheap and available readily accessible but not being able to make household things in your country reduces the power of your country to actually be a country it reduces your country's ability to make decisions that are good for its people and right and just 
So it means that most of the decisions that your country makes when the country doesn't produce its own things are made by other factors, uh, by made, made first considering other external factors before considering the country itself, which means that those who lead countries that don't produce actually work for the countries that produce the things that they, that they need in earnest. And this is where this, this has become a problem. So one side of the world has developed with a regime of fossil fuels. It, it, it's arguably or unarguably, it, it, it's not an arguable thing in the sense of the fact that, yeah, they've developed. The development might not, might not be exactly what we want as development on the earth. It might not be ethical, but it's, it's development. You cannot talk about ethics when um, you don't have food to eat, for instance. Most people that steal, steal because they have needs that can't be satisfied normally. But a lot of people steal just because they are thieves too. So, like I said, one side of the world has developed to a high level with fossil fuels. They make cars, they make weapons, they make all sorts of things and they sell to the other parts of the world. At one point, making the other parts of the world less productive was good for business because it meant that all their goods were going to be bought from these other parts of the world that had uh, large-scale production. So when these parts of the world that had been, that, that, that had been colonized and all that had started to try to rise to for instance start to make their own products using the available fuels and technology that there was suddenly sustainability is thrown on is thrown on 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 on, on those parts of the world to ensure that um and this is not quite this is not wrong but it's also unfair so it, sustainability is thrown to the developing parts of the world as the only way to develop themselves and the technology for instance to use sustainable means like the sun and wind and all that to develop infrastructure is still in its infancy in certain to a certain degree and where it's not in its infancy it's totally unreliable and so it's almost impossible to have that uninterrupted power supply that runs industry and allows people to make things like weapons, cars, uh, and all sorts of products. So it means that if we, if this, if the, 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 the less developed parts of the world are going to stick with trying to make, doing the Catholic thing of trying to make the world around this sustainable ethos of industry where um, we don't use fossil fuels, we use just the sun and wind, etc, etc, etc. There will never be development. It will take ages to get to a point where at least we're even producing things. So we're going to total, completely be dependent on one side of the world to produce things for the other side of the world and that that makes it and that's where architecture becomes architecture and things like sustainability become a tool of war they 
skew the balance of power so badly that it can almost never be unskewed in favor of the person that was oppressed. Therefore, for me, sustainability in that, looking at sustainability from that perspective is, for lack of a better description, a farce. You know, um, a sustainable future can only be attempted in a country that can feed itself. and It's a country that is able to sustain itself and allow its citizenry to enjoy all the things that they, sh- they can enjoy with the present day's technology and be able to sustain the production of these things by themselves. Even if they, that country or uh, imports a lot of those things, the country should be able to, if needs be, create its own so that it doesn't have to go out all the time and spend its foreign exchange and all the monies and taxes earned by the people in uh, the end from the people in the country spend it externally just to get wheat for instance so take the the crisis in ukraine suddenly the whole world is crying for for wheat so there's the, the, the first thing that we heard was oh there's going to be an increase in the size, price of wheat in africa but I, I don't see how it's impossible to plant wheat on an industrial scale in countries that have three or four percent of their, their or ten percent of their land used and they have arable land enough to be able to plant all sorts of things. You might say it's a lack of organization, but that also boils down to the fact that to organize you have to be able to use available technology in a certain way to maximize production. If you don't produce the technology, you have to buy from the person who produces it. So the person who produces it brings his experts to run the technology for you. So again, you're not in control of how the technology works and produces for your country. It's controlled by a third party who controls the experts that were sent to you through a government. So there's a problem with trying to, with not being able to produce technology um, in, in our own countries. So. Like I said earlier, I'm losing faith in sustainability because by, 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 from all my calculations, sustainability, especially when it pertains to energy, has become a tool of war in the world. Today, fuel prices are on the rise. So who is able to have and produce wind turbines would win an energy war. And there will be an energy war. It's an inevitable. It's, it's an inevitable crisis that is going to come. But we all have the sun. But to harness the sun, we need to buy technology from a third-party country who might not be friendly with our countries. And that's a problem. So while there's abundant energy from the sun, it's not abundant in the sense that it can just be harnessed by standing under the sun. So, there's a gap in the understanding of the usage of fossil fuels and the understanding of energy from the sun and the understanding of, of sustainability in the sense of, of, of on an industrial scale. And I, I, my argument is, if we're, doing, we're creating a sustainable future, it first has to work on the industrial scale, on the national scale, 
then it trickles down to the homes. I do not have any problem with making sustainable homes. In fact, we, as a person and with, uh, uh, with, with, with HTL, we believe solely that a home must be able to provide its own power. In fact, it must be a local government unto itself. This is something that we, Nigeria was laughed at because of, because they say that in Nigeria, all, all, all houses are local governments unto themselves. They produce their own, they provide their own water, they provide their own power, they provide their own sewage. But that's not such a bad thing. I think that a house should be a local government unto its own. And I think that's something that must be pursued. It, it, it's, it's essential in our times. So uh, uh, I, I think the, the, the answer, the, the question I ask is who's laughing now? Um, sustainability has become more of greenwashing than actually building any new type of ideas and architecture. So even on the small scale, what we call sustainability is is greenwashing. It's trees on a building. It's uh, it's the it's trees on a building. It's the the pretentious use of certain materials, which I wouldn't name, to create certain colors, which we would not, also not name, so that the buildings look in a certain way that makes us feel empathetic to our rural past. But I don't think that our rural past is important in the sense of its materiality. It's important in the sense of its technology and the way it uses space and form and the way it, it, it puts spirit within the forms. So this is what we need to study because in, in there lies the ability to make the buildings act and behave in a certain way. The plan of a traditional building is more important than how it looked or how it felt or the way the space was made is more important the, the filmic sequences around it in, within the courtyard etc are more important than the fact that it was built in mud it wasn't built in mud because there was concrete and they chose mud it was built in mud because that was the only material available for instance house architecture uh, or in the forest regions mud and clay are available stones are not available but in, in the Great Zimbabwe, stones were available, so stones were used. Traditional architecture develops around available technology. And so if, we, if, if we're trapping ourselves to the use of, of what I'd, I'd rather call ancient materials, because we're trying to, to look empathetic to a certain way of life that doesn't exist and is far gone, I think that it's an insult to our, to our ancestry and an insult to the technology we have now. I think it's just a waste of time generally. I think we need to look forward with the technology we have. We need to accelerate on technological development, but we need to make that technological de development as even as possible so that then sustainability can come as a layer to that technology and make it even better. But technology must become ubiquitous. It must become accessible and available around the world to everybody on an even scale. If not, sustainability will continuously become greenwashing. Because in my, my, my world, in, in, from what I've seen from traditional architecture, 
be going green is just simple common sense a, a room in the tropics for instance it just must be cross ventilated um well, however you you compose your materials it must aid the comfort within the room you, you you don't want to use and waste material you don't want to use materials that are wasteful of you don't want to use materials that are harmful to the to the um ecosystem you want to live with trees who doesn't want to have trees around them who don't, but the fact that you hang a tree on the facade doesn't make the building green for instance who doesn't want purer air who doesn't want a more diverse environment this is what sustainability is and it's common sense this is how we should live i, I don't look at it as a luxury or as something that you need to go to school to do we must just make this diversity happen from design it's 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 important that 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 must be done uh, so that we can allow we can remove the hijacking of green from the lexicon of our day and ensure that going green is accessible to everybody it's not overly legislated it is not um, it's not a niche way of behaving and we must also realize that green designing is not a style of design it's a necessity and responsibility of your architect to make your building responsible a building must act like a citizen it must be able to contribute to the environment as much as it takes from it thank you very much for listening um, to another episode of an african company the world podcast please follow us on instagram at aacw podcast please share please help us build our community we are happy to have you around and we'll see you next week happy easter and happy holidays Thank you very much.